0: Recent weeks I've been speaking to you about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, the endowments of the Holy Spirit. We know them all from the New Testament. We know them from Jesus' ministry. We know them from the early church. We know them from the book of Corinthians when the Apostle Paul lists nine of them in 1 Corinthians 12. But I've chosen rather to have a look at what we may call spiritual gifts as they manifest in the Old Testament. Lots of reasons for that. One of them is just variety of presentation, to be quite blunt. I have a whole series of spiritual gifts teachings and it's very easy to go back to them and to say the same thing in the same way that I've always said it. So variety. Also, it helps us to understand that there is a tremendous connection between ...what God the Spirit was doing in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now the New Testament is so much more manifestation and realization of God the Holy Spirit... ...but the Spirit was present in Old Testament times. came upon many, many people, men and women of old... ...gifting them, giving them ability to do things they wouldn't ordinarily do. Working of miracles, remarkable prayer intercession... Prophecies, healings in fact all of the gifts of the spirit nearly all of them anyway that we find in the New Testament also found in the Old Testament but there's still one more reason and that is in the Old Testament we have a lot of material concerning the life and character of those Old Testament saints we saw David, we saw Moses today we're going to look at Elijah and um, I could do Um, more than one message on this. I'm going to focus on Elijah and how God used him in a ministry of the miraculous. We're going to look at some of the factors that came together that made Elijah usable. And it certainly wasn't his own personality and character. If you know the full story of Elijah, you know that after he called down fire from heaven, he went in hiding... From a woman. And uh, all the women are laughing saying, yeah, that's right. You better fear the women. That's the Jezebel spirit that we're talking about. (laughs) But there's something here which reveals Elijah's weakness. James, when he is about to explain how that Elijah's prayer life is a pattern for us all, saying the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much, Talking about these miraculous instances in which Elijah proclaimed a drought. According to his word, it dried up when he said so. It rained when he said so. He called down fire from heaven. All these great things were done by a man who is exactly like you and I. The old King James version says, A man of like passions such as we are. He was weak. He was feeble. He was prone to to all kinds of uh, faults and emotional difficulties. But God used him. Now I say this not just that you and I can reflect on the past. And maybe think of men and women of God in the present day. Whom God is using powerfully with miracles. Signs and wonders and miracles. The raising from the dead. And many things are happening all over the world. We, We praise God for the continuation of the miraculous in today's generation. But even more than that, friends, the central theme of my message is that God's people are spiritually gifted. That every one of us, particularly in the New Covenant, in New Testament times, we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit rests upon us and lives within us and especially when his presence is released into us and we are immersed in his presence. There can come a flow of supernatural activity from your life that will astonish both you and the people around you. Because God is a supernatural God and part of the toolkit of the Christian church in every generation, this generation is no exception, are the miraculous manifestations of God in your life and through your life. So don't leave it just to the mighty men and women, allow God to use you as he chooses to use you. So we're looking at Elijah, let me just spell out some of the things that he did. I mentioned that he closed the heavens and said it would not rain. Can you imagine if we had such a person today who could go to the meteorological office and say, It's not going to rain till I say so. Bring all the tourists today. This is, it's going to be good. But in that day, the pronouncement of no rain was saying the economy is going to collapse. And Elijah, who said that, was part, had to live in the conditions that he had prophesied and brought into being by faith. Then he called the rain to happen again when God's work is done. But in the meantime, he'd multiplied flour and oil to feed a widow in the time of famine. He'd raised the dead of a, ch- uh, a dead uh, a son of a dead woman. Uh, the dead woman, uh, the son was dead, the woman was alive. Okay, that'll do. <laughs> and then, moving swiftly on, he called call down fire from heaven. And this is the summit, not just because he was standing on Mount Carmel at the time. this was the summit of his ministry. His name, Elijah, means "The Lord is my God." And he said, "I want you to know who is the true and the living God. Israel, you've been going astray following other gods, Baal and, and, and Ashtoreth, and all the gods of the pagan fertility religions. And this is a foreign God does not belong to you. And these this God is no God. they can't answer by fire. They can't answer you, they are nothing. They There are nobody but the true and the living God. He is the God who shall answer by fire. Wow. We need a generation of Elijahs. Because the tables have turned in our generation. It's the prophets of Baal. It is the humanists. It is the secularists. It's the false religionists who are summoning us to the mountain and saying, what can your God do? We are growing quicker than you are. We are taking over. Our society has been formed in our image. We are getting what we want done. And you church Christians, you're over post-Christian era, ha, 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 to you. It's time for the Elijahs of God to stand up. It's time for a generation of Elijahs to stand up and say, our God is the true and the living God. And we shall demonstrate to you that he's not dead. He's alive. Amen. Amen and amen. So this, and I'm not hyping this up today, because the levels of manifestation of this are very significant. And in every single way, you and I are called to be Elijah, or Elisha, or whatever the feminine equivalent is. We are called to demonstrate to our society that God is alive. We're called to show Him. And part of that will be, if we listen to God... Carefully, will at times be miraculous manifestations in your life and through your life to demonstrate the reality of God to those around you, from the least of you to the greatest of you. Okay. I'm going to read one verse, and I hope I probably won't, but let me just anyway say it. I hope you go home and read 1 Kings 16, 1 Kings 17, 1 Kings 18. Before you go to sleep tonight. Because that's those are the chapters I'd like to read (laughs) to get the whole story. But I'm gonna just quote one verse at this stage. It is verse 1 of chapter 17. And this is where we first meet Elijah. When we read the story carefully, we know that Elijah hasn't just appeared out of nowhere, he's been very active. But in the text, it's suddenly Elijah stands before the king, King Ahab, who is the wicked king of Israel. And Elijah makes this pronouncement. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, Before whom I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain these years until I say so. Wow. First of all, look at the boldness of this man. He stands before the king without fear. And he declares before the king, The God of Israel has sent me. The true God of Israel. In other words, he says, Ahab, I know you've led the nation astray. You and that wife Jezebel. You have led them into the worship of pagan fertility gods. Believing that somehow you can protect the economy which is based on the agricultural year. You are seeking to influence the weather by using these spiritual powers and entities. But I want to tell you Ahab, these false gods are not true gods and they shall fail you. The God of Israel still is in control. That's what he's saying. Then he goes on to say... That God before whom I stand. Wow. Uh, this, is, this is medicine for every trembling, fearful soul. This is health for every person struggling with issues of doubt and intimidation coming from the spiritual forces being leashed against the released against the Church of Jesus Christ, against society itself which is mocking the truth of the Bible and the teaching of Christianity, especially the evangelical truth that says we stand before God by faith in Christ and Christ alone. Here is Elijah saying, I stand before God. Oh, the encouragement that comes to me just by thinking about that, that somebody is prepared to identify publicly, I belong to God and, and, and I serve God and I stand before God. I'm not frightened of you. I stand before God and I've stood before God. That's why I have the courage to stand before you. And when I say I stand before God, it's not presumption. Amen. I know the ground upon which I have in order to stand before God. And I want to say whatever else I want to say to you today. I want to say to you today, do you know the ground, the only ground you can stand on before God? And that's the ground of Calvary. It's the blood-stained ground of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the only way you and I could ever stand before God. Oh, the arrogance of the human spirit, I've heard many people say that when when I meet God, I'll have something to tell him, you know. (laughs) But we know it's not like that. God's a holy God. He is a holy, uncreated, eternal God before whose glory nobody can stand. None of us can stand before God. If he took account of our sins, none can stand the only way we can stand if somehow he will pardon us and forgive us and give us the grace upon which we can stand and say, God, be merciful to me as sinner. And God says, I accept you because I've taken your sin and laid them upon Jesus and nailed them there. That's the only ground you have to stand before God. Make sure you know how to stand before God now because there's coming a day when you will stand before God. Not in this life. In the, in the life that is after this one. And you say, I don't believe it. You will when you get there. If the Bible is in any way true whatsoever, it tells us that we will all stand before God one day. And God will want us at that day to have the assurance that we're standing on the right ground. Another reason I stress this today is because over the years the charismatic movement has not always stressed the need to be washed and cleansed in the blood of Jesus and that we are, they've dropped a lot of gospel truth to go straight to the miracles and the blessing. But the whole point about miracles is to affirm gospel truth. The reason why we want to see miracles revived today is not just that we could be blessed and fed and we can make miraculous pronouncements over our bank accounts. In the name of Jesus, bank account be filled. <laughs> oh, it can happen. Oh, yes, it can happen. God used the very ravens to feed Elijah. He multiplied the bread The the flour and the oil of the widow, Elijah fed first of that, oh yes, miraculous supply and provision of God in every area of your life, mentally, physically, emotionally, financially. God is the God who blesses us and fills us and strengthens us and rewards us in so many wonderful ways, hallelujah, but that's not the heart of it. The heart of it is not that we get blessed. The heart of it is that we represent Jesus in this world. We we act as witnesses, as servants of the living God. And therefore, the first thing that they must know is that we belong to God by his grace. And that everything that flows from that, what we do, what we say, the miracles that happen, is all there to demonstrate that God is. Is real and he's alive. And the gospel is true. We need to be a gospel people. If we're going to be used by God in these days in miracles. So he says, this God before whom I stand. I want to fast forward to a New Testament fulfillment of this. Because Paul the Apostle said something very similar many, many years later as the prototype New Testament believer and minister of the Gospel. Here's the story, the Apostle Paul has been on three long and very successful missionary journeys and now he is under arrest and he's being sent to face trial in Rome and to get there he has to catch a boat chained to a Roman soldier. A big storm happens and eventually Paul and the rest of the crew, uh, the passengers, are shipwrecked on the Isle of Malta. And St. Paul's Bay in Malta is named after him in this instance. But at that time, everybody feared for their lives and Paul gathers and gets together in the middle of the storm and he says this in Acts 27 verse 23. So I want you to know that an angel of the Lord has stood with me. And the angel of the Lord says, Paul, you've got to bear witness to me, to God, in, in, in Rome, so you're going to be saved, and I've given you all the people on this boat. Nobody's going to die, but you're going to run aground on some island. And so Paul recites, he says, the God whom I serve and the God who I belong to has appeared to me through an angel and spoken to me, and this is what's going to happen now. It's this statement that I find so similar to Elijah's. Elijah says, Ahab, the God before whom I stand. Paul says, the God whose I am and whom I serve. That's the New Testament spirit. That's the spirit of victory. That's the spirit of authority. That's the spirit of overcoming. And that's the spirit that will bring miraculous manifestation as God wills it through your life. Let's unpack that a little bit. The God whose I am, that describes identity. The God whom I serve, that describes purpose. Identity. There is an identity crisis today, and I don't think I'm exaggerating, amongst much of professing Christianity today. For all kinds of reasons... I just want to pray for Holy Spirit. Stir up the people in Kensington Temple that we'd rise above the intimidation of our environment and know who we are and what God has called us to do. Amen. Amen. What that really means is help me preach, Jesus. This is so important. I'm speaking to the very heart of what the enemy is doing in our lives. Putting fear and intimidation. I was speaking to our primary leaders this week and noticing how few of the cell leaders and cell members are actually actively involved in real effective friendship evangelism. People are scared to speak up for Christ at work. Scared of being called a racist. Scared of being called a homophobe. Scared of being called an Islamophobe. Scared of being called a phobophobe. (laughs) I'm going to start a new movement. Phobophobia. Let's be scared of, scared of nothing except fear itself. Not even be, let's not even be afraid of fear. You are called as men and women of the living God. He's established you. He's filled you with the spirit of faith. He's filled you with the spirit of God. And he wants you to stand before men and say, this is my God and I serve him. And to do it without being ashamed. Everybody... Who, who believes what they believe, whether it's an atheist, a secularist, or somebody that belongs to LGBT, all the rest of it, LGGBTI, or, or, or even iPhone users, I don't know whoever they are. They tell you who they are, and they tell you what they believe, and they can tell you even before you can open your mouth. This is who I am. And people are very proud and bold to be who they are. Why aren't we also proud and bold to be who we are? Why don't we stand up and say, This is who I am? I'm a child of the living God and I stand before God. God, that's who I belong to. That's whom I belong to. We can do it. We can do it. There's a spirit of boldness and courage coming into this building right now. Stand up for Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean to say you're going to go around criticizing everybody else, but nobody has the right to tell you to shut up while they tell you who they are without also hearing who you are. (laughs) God, whose I am? I belong to him. I am not my own. I'm bought at a price. Jesus paid a very high price that I might belong to him. 1 Corinthians 16 19 to 20 Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, you were bought at a price. The ground upon which we stand is the blood-bought ground, the blood-stained ground of Calvary. We embrace the blood-soaked cross, knowing that it's the blood of Jesus that binds us to God, but it's also the blood of Jesus that has purchased us to belong to him forever and ever. Amen. And he doesn't like competition. I'm saved, I belong to God, but I am faithful. Faithful. I have not bowed the knee to Baal. I don't know why I do this in France. I don't do it here. I'm probably more polite. When I go to France, there's a shop in France called FNAC. Anybody know of the shop? And you can buy books and things. You can buy computers and things. And I always may have a reason. Every time I go and find a little book and go to there, the person says, uh, "Uh, Vous avez une carte de fidélité, monsieur? And the way they say it "What do to say, do you have... A loyalty card, carte de fidélité, and I feel so convicted because I'm feeling they're saying I'm not loyal, I'm faithless, I'm, I, have, I have no. I said, well, I'm very faithful, yes, but not to the store. <laughs> and. um, I travel, as you know, a great, great deal. Thank you for keeping on praying for me as I travel. I was in Stockholm for all my sins and misery up there, way up in the Northern Hemisphere, way very high, where we had temperatures of 29 degrees and London was raining. So I promise you I don't read the forecast and then choose where to go. (laughs) But as I checked in, the person receiving me at the desk said, oh, Mr. Dye, welcome. And I go, how do you know me? So there is on the screen, this is a gold card holder. He travels so much from British Airways, he's so loyal to British Airways, please be nice to him. (laughs) Loyalty. Fidelity. That is being used as a marketing tool to get an audience or to get a, a set of clients and to keep them. So we understand loyalty. Sometimes we understand loyalty more to our brand or our favorite store than we understand loyalty to the things that really, really matter in life. Loyalty to the living God. This morning, waking up early, the the words came to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. I thought, am I in heaven? But it was that fact that God is looking for faithfulness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Doesn't mean to say we're always successful, we we never fail. But faithfulness means I'm going on. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, people of God, stay faithful. Don't let anybody pull you away from your commitment to Christ, your faithfulness to Christ. Because as you can say, the God whose I am, and this is the God I serve. I don't serve any other God. I put all my eggs in one basket and stand or fall, enjoy life, hate life, have all that I need, have nothing, live or die, happy or not happy. I don't care. Je m'en fais de tout, je m'en fous de tout ça parce que je appartient à Jesus. I serve the one and the true and the living God. J'ai parlé des mots en français pour vous tous qui m'entendent maintenant. There's a few people of different languages listening to me. I know you hate it when I do that, but never mind. (laughs) Hallelujah! Praise God! Be faithful, be loyal, stick with Jesus. And he's going to look at the start on your fidelity card. Oh, thank you. This man said, we appreciate your business, we don't take it for granted, we really appreciate your loyalty. I'm just after, you know, air miles, I'm not thinking about loyalty, I'm just wanting to gain a few air miles and and get access to different kinds of lounges. And when I show up and have twice as many bags as I should have, they they let me in, I'm not thinking about loyalty, but they are. Now we move into the second thing. The God whose I am, that's identity. Secondly, the God whom I serve, that's your purpose, especially in terms of ministry. And this, these principles are so simple. Not at all complicated. Let me give you the statement. God does not give power for what he's not doing. That's a double negative. I need to put it that way because often we try to do what God is not giving us to do. And we think that there's some formulae, trite formulae, where we can go and do anything we want and God will back us up. No. There's a man who used to be an elder in this church. It was before he was an elder in this church. I've got so many stories to tell about this elder. One day I'll tell a few more. We've had amazing times together. Traveled in different places. The trouble is, some of the stories are embarrassing to him. So I'll have to hold back. But this one is a lesson. Anyway, this elder, full of faith... Wanting to see the kingdom of God come, telling everybody in his area, I believe in miracles. And then the next door neighbor said, Good for you because somebody's just died in our house. <laughs> what have you called her? No, no, they're dead. Okay, I'll come and raise him up. I don't know whether, I don't know whether it's male or female. The, the story that I'm saying in gross, in, in principle, is true. Some of the details are probably you know, exaggerated and not, but this is basically a true story. So he calls people together, they pray and they fast, they, do, they jump up and down, do everything, they cry out to God, they do everything they possibly can, one day, two days, how many days, till it's embarrassing. And somebody has to say, this dead person ain't waking up. <laughs> All kinds of things happen. Like, you know, you've got certain obligations, haven't you? There are certain legal obligations when somebody dies, you have to declare it. So, all that took over, and it was a waste of time, and it was silly. A whole thing. You know why? Why? Because they'd never heard a word from God. They decided, well, God says, Raise the dead, we're going to go and do it. We are going to do it. That's presumption. I'm not saying they did it deliberately to be presumptuous, but I'll be going back to, to Kenya. Uh, uh, second week of of, uh, of August, where Teresa Warimu is opening up her brand new building in Karen, in, in amazing new building, all paid for everything. Amazing. Reinhard Bonke will be coming and preaching and being. There's going to be an absolutely great time. I love the atmosphere. I love the ministry, uh, uh, Faith Evangelistic Ministry. Mama Teresa, she's absolutely amazing, and uh, she has been used by God to raise the dead on. Many, several occasions. So we get talking, start telling Holy Ghost stories, and it's all fantastic, and I lean over and I say, Mama Teresa, tell us. Tell me, what is it like to raise the dead? And she she looks at me, and she has that kind of kikuyu look on her face. (laughs) Hmm. She says, for this one, for this one, You need a word from God. (laughs) How wise. God does not give power for what he's not doing. So when Elijah says, I'm a servant of God, he says, I only do what God tells me to do. I don't take my own initiative. I don't wake up in the morning and decide that I need a Rolls Royce by lunchtime. I don't go around doing my own will, doing my own thing. Even Jesus didn't live like that. John's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 19. This is the incident after Jesus has healed the uh, paralyzed man who couldn't lift himself up into the pool of Bethesda in order to be healed. You remember that story? And Jesus healed him, take up your bed and walk. And he he was criticized, healing on the Sabbath. and said, who told you you can carry that? Matt on the Sabbath. The religious people didn't care the man was healed, just that he was breaking their interpretation of the Sabbath. And they said, oh, "The man who healed me, Jesus, he 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 told me." They came to Jesus, "How dare you break the Sabbath?" And Jesus said, "My Father is working, and I am working." You see, the Sabbath was a day of rest from the toil and labor. But the Sabbath speaks of the rest of God in which we are set free from the burdens and bondages of sin and enter into the good things of the accomplished work of God. That's what the Sabbath means. The Sabbath is exactly the day, it's exactly the season to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to raise the dead. And then Jesus went on to say, by the way, you need to know this. Here we have verse 19, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. That means the Son does not initiate anything doesn't make Jesus inferior to the Father. It just means that the Son, as the Son, is responding to the Father's initiator initiative. The Father is the great initiator of the universe, and the Son is the great responder, and that's why he's called the Son, because it's the relationship between the first and second members of the Trinity that is best described in Father-Son terms. And this, the son can do nothing of himself. It means I don't initiate this. I haven't come here to do my own will. I've come here to do the will of the one who sent me. Because I am reflecting my father's glory into this world. I want you to look at me and see him. I want you to know that the God who created all things, who is the father of all of us, is the God who is at work in me and sent me. So that he that has seen me has seen the father. I don't do these things of my own initiative. Then he goes on to say, for whatever he does what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. Now, of course, that has remarkable uh, implications for understanding who Jesus is. They pick up stones to kill him because he made himself on inequality with God. So Jesus was claiming divine sonship equality with God. But the principle of not taking initiative but responding to the initiative of God is passed on to us as believers. Jesus said, As the Father sent me, so I send you. And this is the key, this is the secret of walking in the miraculous. It's not trying to do what God isn't doing, but find out what God is doing and go with it. Find out what God is doing. Find out what God is saying. Find out what God is leading. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Not your own leading. Not your own thinking. Not what you'd like to see happen. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because God does not give power for what he's not doing, but he will give power and authority and everything else that is needed to do what he is doing. Find out what God is doing. Find out what God wants. There was a time when I was called into the house of a woman who had just died. She was a very famous woman. In fact, by the time 20 or 30 minutes had gone by, it was news at 10, and already first item in the news at 10 was this woman's death. And I was called to the house... To be there for some of the family. And the woman who was nursing this famous person was a member of Kensington Temple. And we brought that lady to be prayed for, to be healed in the church. Nothing had happened and now she's dead. So at every moment, when an opportunity like that comes and it's not not lacking courage, it's actually respecting God. God How do you want me to pray right now? What are you telling me to do? But I received nothing from God by way of a leading from the Holy Spirit or or any sense that I should pray and command her to be raised from the dead. I didn't have that. And I was disappointed. I was disappointed in God. I'll come back to that story. But just to let you know, that's not a cop-out. Remember the story, Amanda? We were in Paraguay, Uruguay, some guay somewhere. (laughs) Paraguay. And uh, we were praying. Amanda was there. Amanda was a trained nurse in a medical background, as you know. And a boy comes forward for prayer, and he falls on the ground. Nothing unusual. Thank God. Hallelujah. I didn't know that he'd passed out. The platform was unusually high, higher than this. You'd, have, you'd all need prayer at the end of the service. You'd have a sore neck that was so high. And Amanda came to me and said, Colin, you had better pray quickly. This boy is in trouble. He'd had an asthma attack and his lips were blue and everything else about him was saying he ain't got long in this life. Now, there was nothing else we could do. Emergency medical treatment would have taken a bit of time. We'd have gone that route. Don't worry, we're not, we're not foolish. So I leaped off the platform in a way only a former ballet dancer can. <laughs> and the boy was slipping away. Amanda, am I exaggerating? Can I have the camera? Am I, am I exaggerating? Not, I mean, it's not a lot. <laughs> That's true, isn't it? It's true. All right. And so I rebuked death and everything the boy, the boy recovered. Death sentence. I'm just trying to show you when, 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 when God's in it, it's great, isn't it? But if God's not doing it, you can't do it. Okay? So back to that situation. I then said, very disappointingly, Lord, you know, do I care? When I was watching the news, do I care for London more than you do? God. What's the matter with you? Why don't you understand? If that woman had been healed, news at 10 would be saying, this person was dead and is alive. In the name of Jesus, everybody go to Kensington Temple next Sunday. (laughs) And God showed me something that miracles are not the answer. When God moves that kind of miraculous power, and it will happen. Judgment is not far behind. Because when God reveals Himself, people become doubly accountable. And when He does great and amazing miracles, the condemnation upon those who reject Him is even more. So, everything that Elijah did, he never initiated it. When it came to the rain, do you think He can stand up and say, Stop it! No rain's going to listen to you. When Jesus said to the storm, Be still, I understand it. When Elijah says, No more rain, I don't understand it except for one thing. He'd prayed and he'd heard from God. And God said, I want you to pronounce a drought and I will honor your words. Same when the rain started again. Same when he fed the widow woman. And caused the, the, the flour and the oil to keep on reproducing itself miraculously until the end of the drought. God said, go to that place. I've commanded a widow to feed you there. God was in it. And when God's in it, friends, nothing can stop it. I and mean, this is at least a little bit of making sense of that otherwise amazing song. When Jesus say yes, nobody can say no. I have no clue what that song means, but I just understand it now. If God's in it, it's going to happen. So the key always is about understanding. Musicians, come back please and encourage me to stop. When God reveals his will, when God says, I want you to do this, you are responding to his initiative. And when God is in it, friends, it happens. Without God, we can do nothing. But when God's in it, nothing is impossible. I've seen miracles in loads of different ways, and I use the word miracle advisedly. I'm not just talking about, you know, a number 28 bus comes when you're just in time for a, for a meeting, which is, a, sorry, that is a miracle. Yes. <laughs> I'm talking about stuff that really are out, uh, outstanding miracles. But every single one of them has happened almost by itself, almost as if I had nothing to do with it. Oh, sorry. I didn't have anything to do with it. When your words are addressed to blind eyes and they open before you, logic goes out of the window. You're speaking to blind eyes. If only there were deaf ears. There's logic in speaking to deaf ears because ears are supposed to hear. But when you speak to blind eyes you think, you're not even an ear, how can you hear me? And you're blind anyway. Human logic goes out of the window because a supernatural power begins to operate, and it is God doing something through you that you could never do without Him. Therefore, the net result is a manifestation and demonstration of the fire of God and the power of God, and everybody knows that God is real. That's what happened when he called down fire from heaven. Not only did he follow God to to the God's word to the to the detail, everything he did was from, as he was obeying God, but he went out of his way to show that it had to be God or nothing. What did he do? He dug a trench on that sacrifice. The God who answers by fire, let him be God. The, gods of, uh, the, the prophets of Baal had been crying all day. Nothing had happened. And they, your God's deaf? Shout louder, maybe he's deaf. He, 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 shout louder, maybe he's gone on a holiday. And there's even, you read it very carefully, you don't believe me, go back to the Hebrew. It says, he may even be behind the bush going to the toilet. <laughs> and they say, hey, don't criticize other religions. So he said, now before I pray, I want you to do something. Everybody, I want water on this sacrifice. I want it drenched in water and there's going to be no matches, no kerosene, no fire lighters. This fire has to be God or not at all. Let's be there. Let's get to the place. We won't hype it. We won't manufacture it. won't go up to somebody. Are you ready? You ready? You expect something, all right? Just trust me, okay? Just trust me, don't, don't, don't move. I feel the power of God. Did you feel? Oh, yes, you did. <laughs> that was nothing to do with God. I did it as a cheap way of entertaining in a sermon. But when God is in it, it may look a bit like that. But to the discerning eyes, you will see that it's not human manufacturing. It comes from God. It's too late in the day. Our nation's too far lost. We need God to do what only he can do. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. We thank you for the miraculous power and presence of your Holy Spirit. And we so want to know how it is, what it is to move in miraculous ministry. Thank you for these very simple principles being saved, being faithful, and being obedient.